Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, grab that and turn to Acts chapter 10. And if you do not have a Bible, there's one in front of you. Uh, there should be a blue uh, Bible in the pew back in front of you. Uh, we're going to be on page 766 of that. We want you all to be able to follow along and see uh, that what we're talking about comes from the Word of God. It's not our opinion, because our opinion doesn't matter, right? Uh, God's opinion does. So uh, grab that, turn to Acts chapter 10. In that same pew in front of you, you should see a card like this. Um, if you are a guest here today, we are so glad that you're here. Would you do us a favor and just fill this out? Uh, and then on your way out, we have uh, black boxes by both entrances. Uh, that is where uh, we use to give our, our offerings and our worship there. Uh, and so just go, you don't need to drop anything in there other than the card. Just on your way out, drop that in there um, so that we can better contact you and better serve you. We want to hear more about your story. So please do that for us. Uh, in Acts chapter 10 is where we're going to be. And before we jump into that, join me in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful uh, that your love never fails us, that it goes on and on, Lord, that it, it's here now um, in our midst, God, and uh, I don't know the type of days and weeks that led up uh, to this morning for everyone in this room. Some it was a successful week, some it was an easy one, some it was really hard. But God, I know that none of that matters now because you brought them here for a reason and that you want to speak to them today, and so I just pray that you would push aside all distractions, uh, you would... Um, just move out of our mind and out of our concentration all the, th- all the baggage that we brought into this place today and that we could hear clearly from your word and from your spirit. God, that whatever you say today, we pray that whatever decisions are made, whatever happens in this moment would all be done for the glory of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Follow me. Follow me. There's just two words, but when they were said by Jesus, it changed everything. God had come to earth in Jesus Christ, taking on the form of a human, and he would reveal to the entire world what God wants from humanity. Would it be uh, acts of righteousness and good deeds? Would it be religious ceremonies? Would it be sacrifices and gifts? From the start of time, people had wondered and contemplated, who is the divine and what does he want from us? And here, standing in human flesh, was, was God. Jesus would tell us the answer. Follow me, he said. Now, we're called in the Bible to imitate Jesus. We're called to believe in him. We're called to trust in him and cast our cares in him. But the invitation, actually the command from Jesus himself, was to follow him. And in the midst of the simplicity of those two words lies great power because Jesus was establishing for us what this relationship would look like, how it would function. He was telling us from the start that he would always be out in front. He would always set the tone. He would always be the initiator and that we are to trail him. We are to follow him. We are to respond to him. Now, we've been going through the book of Acts as a church for the last few months. And and as we've made this journey through the book of Acts, there's been a couple themes building for us. And the first thing that we saw is that that the church, we as the church, we are to multiply. This idea that, that what God invests in me and what God invests in you should go out from us and affect and bless multiple other people. And the second thing that's really picked up strongly in the book of Acts is that God is looking for and uses people who simply say yes to him. And everybody who multiplies follows, and everyone who says yes to God follows. Jesus set up this dynamic right at the start of Acts chapter 1. The very first thing, the very first task that he gave his church was that they were to go to Jerusalem and wait. Don't get out in front of me, Jesus says, but you go and you wait, and then at a given time, you will receive power from me when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and it's then that you act. 
And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we've witnessed for nine chapters of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit going in front of the church, providing uh, power and boldness and opportunities for them to fill their mission. And they've been Jesus' witnesses so far in Jerusalem. And then they were Jesus' witnesses in Judea and in Samaria. And in Acts chapter 10, we're going to see a turning point in the life of the church. And it's a turning point because to be Jesus' witnesses to the ends of the earth is to take the message of Jesus to those that the Jewish people would have never given their time to. But God's going to move and he's going to intervene and he's going to interrupt the life of none other than Peter, the most visible leader of the church. And in, in chapter 10, Peter will have to decide, do I stick with what I know? Do I stay with where I'm comfortable? Do, do I do what is safe and popular or do I follow? And Acts 10 is, is a story of a, a monumental shift in the thinking and direction of the church. And from where we're going to sit, at first it's going to seem like a no-brainer to us. Okay? But we must understand that, that we, we don't understand the cultural ramifications of the time that Acts 10 occurred. And so at the very start of Acts 10, we're introduced to a man named Cornelius. And Luke tells us that Cornelius was a centurion in the Roman army in the Italian regiment. But what separates Cornelius from almost anyone else we've met so far in the book of Acts is that Cornelius is not a Jew. He's a Gentile. And yet we're told at the opening of Acts 10 that he and his family were all God-fearing people, that he was a man of constant prayer who sought out the Lord and he gave generously to those in need. Now basically, in his spiritual ignorance, he did everything he knew to do in order to please God. So one day Cornelius is praying and he sees a vision and in that vision he's told by an angel that his prayers and gifts has risen up as an offering before the Lord and he is told to send some men to a town called Joppa and, and they are to bring back a man named Peter to talk to him. So immediately Cornelius calls two of his servants and he tells them about the vision he sends them to Joppa with those instructions and we pick up the story in Acts chapter 10 and verse 9 so follow along with me there. <clears throat> About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheet being let down to, to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as the reptiles of the earth and the birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Right, so to understand what we just read there, we must understand what God is up to. Peter, uh, along with all the other church leaders, was Jewish. Okay? And so they had been raised in Judaism. And in Judaism, a great deal of the focus of that religion is on the law that God had given them. And there were certain aspects of the law that by Acts 10 are no longer necessary. Okay, but even as I say that, I speak with confidence as someone who gets to look back on it with all the knowledge of history. Peter didn't have that advantage. So he and all the Jewish Christians were raised in Judaism. And so even though in Acts they are Christians, they've given their lives to Jesus, they don't yet know how those two things are different. Right, because Jesus came to us through the Jews. He, he followed the Jewish law as the Messiah. He was a Jew. And so in Peter's mind, right, following Jesus and Judaism were the exact same thing. Now it gets complicated when you realize that the leaders of Judaism in Acts 10, who, who did not believe in Jesus, they saw this as two very different things. And that's why you see so much persecution in the book of Acts. But most importantly, in God's eyes, they were two different things as well. It's why by the year 70 AD, not long after Jesus' life, the temple will be completely destroyed. And by the way, Jesus called it. He said in the Gospels it was going to happen, and it did. 
So what we've seen so far in Acts is these new Christians try and live out what Jesus has taught them while also trying to abide by the Judaic law. Jesus addressed this back in Matthew 5. Here's what he told them. He said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill them. Now this is simplifying things a bit, but the Judaic law could be broken down into basically two parts. There was the moral law and there was the ceremonial law. And in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, in order to stay in relationship with God, one must keep the law and then make sacrifices for the ways they failed at keeping the law. Right, so what you see throughout the Old Testament, you see people trying to observe this law, trying to follow these rules, and then there's these system of sacrifices, this shedding of animal blood in order to pay the price for their sins. And one of the best things about Jesus is that he was the fulfillment of Judaism. He completely fulfilled God's law. And here's how. Jesus was the first and only person to ever live their life without breaking the moral law. Being God, he lived the perfect life. He was the only one who's ever done that. And so that means that when he was crucified on the cross, he was the perfect sacrifice for the first time. He was the perfect substitution for our sins because he had none of his own to pay for. Hebrews chapter 10, the author of Hebrews is writing to Jewish Christians who are trying to understand how these processes play out. And here's what he writes. He writes in Hebrews 10, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have, been, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all, and we would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And then down in verse 10, he writes, But we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. See, since Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, the law is not abolished, but it's been fulfilled completely. Right? There's a reason that we didn't sacrifice a goat between the second and third song this morning. Okay, other than that, it would just be gross. Right? There's a reason. The, the reason is Jesus' death is sufficient to pay the price for the sins of the world. Jesus' death is sufficient to pay the price for 10,000 worlds. Jesus' death is sufficient to pay the price for the sin of endless worlds. See, when Jesus instituted communion, he held up the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood, the blood which brings in the new covenant. The new covenant. This is why, if you don't know this, this is why your Bible is split into Old and New Testaments. Because God was establishing a brand new covenant with humanity and it all changed with Jesus. And what we see playing out in Acts is these first believers who, who live right at that shift, right? To trying to figure out what it means to live in the new covenant while still trying to partake in the old. And God's been really gracious to them, and he's been really merciful and patient with them. But it's time they embrace the new covenant and all that it means. And the reason it's time is because in order to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, they need to start seeing things the way that God does. So in Acts 10, Peter's on the roof praying, and he falls into this trance. And in this trance, he, he, he too sees a vision. And in this vision, a sheet from heaven is lowered. And all kinds of animals are on the sheet, put in front of him, four-footed animals and reptiles and birds of the air. Now, in the old law, in Leviticus 11, there was a listing of animals that are unclean, animals that Jewish people should avoid eating, including pigs and reptiles and snakes that crawl on the ground. And many scholars believe that this uh, part of the law was due to the hygienic conditions of the time. It was just a matter of the fact that they just couldn't safely handle and cook those animals without spreading disease among them. But see, whatever God's reason was, they had been forbidden. So Peter, still living with the idea of the old law, you can imagine his surprise when he hears from heaven, Peter, get up and kill these animals and eat them. 
And he objects, right? He says, surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And God says to him, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. I tell you what, every time I've had pulled pork at Rick's Smokehouse, I'm thankful for that verse right there, right? Just praise God for the new covenant. But as true as that is, this has so much more to do than food, right? Because that notion, that one statement from God, do not call anything impure that God has made clean will change Peter's life in the direction of the church. Because as soon as this vision ends, Peter's sitting there wondering, what in the world did that mean? Guess who shows up? Those servants from Cornelius' house, those Gentiles asking for him. And Luke tells us that the Spirit tells Peter, go with these men because I've sent them here. And so the next day, Peter goes with them from Joppa to Caesarea. It's a two-day journey. And when Peter arrives at Cornelius' house, there's a huge crowd there. Because what has happened is Cornelius, in his excitement, has called together all of his family and friends. And he's fully expecting to hear from God through Peter. And he wants everyone to be in on it. And so Peter goes into the house to meet with him. And if you, don't, if you aren't yet aware of how big a deal this is, listen to how he opens his talk in verse 28. Acts 10, verse 28. This is how how Peter starts the conversation. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. That's a sweet welcome, isn't it? But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. All right, now let's, let's understand that law for a second. Deuteronomy 7. Okay, God is speaking through Moses to the Israelites, uh, and they're preparing to go into the promised land that God has set aside for them. But there's people who are living there, and so God tells them that as they go into these places that he's given them, they are to destroy or drive out completely the foreigners living in those areas. That they're actually not to intermarry with them. They're not to establish a community with them. They're not to share religious ideas with them, because as God's chosen people, the Israelites were to be holy and set apart and unique and different from everyone. And so to intermarry with these people or mix worship with other nations would make them impure. Now, the irony of this command is twofold. And the greatest irony is this. They never followed it in the first place. If you read the Old Testament, the entire history of Israel is is littered with unfaithfulness to God because they mixed worship of false gods in with the worship of the one true God because they didn't drive these people out and they did intermarry with them. And secondly, to make it worse, even though they didn't follow the command, they made it more extreme. Because in their tradition of the elders, they added to it and took this mandate further to the point where by the time Peter's on the scene, all serious law-abiding Jews would not associate with, hang out with, eat with, or be with Gentiles because they are impure. And that is the environment that these first Christians are raised in. So God sends Gentiles to Peter who are looking to hear the gospel. And right before they arrive, he tells Peter, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And God is telling Peter, Peter... The law has been fulfilled. So you don't need to cling to the ceremony aspects of the law anymore. But more importantly, when it comes to the moral law, there's no one that God is not capable of declaring as clean. Because that was the point of the cross. John 3, for God so loved the world, right? Jew, Gentile, male, female, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, more. God so loved everyone that he sent his son, Jesus. And any, anyone at all who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. So you go, Peter. You go and you eat with them, and you visit them, and you stay with them, and then you tell them about me. Because by the blood of Jesus, they they will be made clean. All can be made clean. And so Peter goes, and he tells them. He gives them, if you read Acts 10, Peter doesn't change the message at all. 
He gives them the exact same message that he preached to the Jews in Acts 2, in Acts 3, in Acts 4, in Acts 6, all the way through, right? And he, he says that God sent Jesus, and Jesus is awesome, and, and Jesus was killed, but God raised him from the dead and has sent Peter and the church out to call everyone to repent, that, that they should turn from living for themselves and trust and live for Jesus, and those who do will receive forgiveness and share eternal life with him forever. And as Peter is given this same message, right, these Gentiles, these previously seen as impure and unworthy men and women received the same Holy Spirit that all the Jewish believers did. And let's look at, what, look at the reaction room. Look at verse 45. Acts 10 verse 45 starts with the circumcised believers. Read that as the Jewish believers, okay? The Jewish believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Listen to that language. For they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. And I think, think about what all happened in Acts 10. Think about how this started. Peter is just trying to have a quiet time. Remember, he's, he's simply trying to pray before lunch. Okay? And God shows up and says, follow me. And he's, he be, he's, he's then led to a town he would have never visited. He's then led to a home he would have never went to. He's, Peter is stretched beyond his training. He's stretched beyond his religion. He's stretched beyond his culture. He's stretched beyond his upbringing. He's stretched beyond his comfort level. He's forced to rely on God's leading and respond to God's working and not on his own. And friends, that is what following looks like. When Jesus says, follow me, that's what he has in mind. And the question is, don't you want that? Don't you want to just follow? I, mean, I, I get it, okay? I get that it's hard to, to symbolically hand the keys to Jesus because our sinful nature wants to believe that we can maintain control in this life. But let's drop the lie, shall we? I mean, do you realize how little you actually control in your life? Do you realize that everything that you have outside of your relationship with Christ, if you have one, everything else could be taken away from you this afternoon and there's nothing you could do about it? So when we run around trying to grip everything tightly, trying to control everything, we're fighting a losing battle. And the person who tries to control everything in the world always ends up with a really small world. Jesus gives us the antidote when he says, follow me. Let go of the lie. Let go of the delusion. Just follow me. And the great adventure in that is that when you hand him the keys, when you surrender to him your future, he will take you places you will have never chosen yourself. He'll stretch you beyond what you're used to or comfortable with because your safety and your ease is not his top priority, and that's a good thing. Because he will lead you to experiences you would never have chosen. And in those experiences, ultimately, you will discover life to the fullest and get more of him. Jesus is looking for followers, not leaders. He's looking for followers. Will you follow him? As you consider that, there, there are three things that we see here in Acts 10 that reveal to us what, what it actually takes to be a follower. And the first thing's really simple if we think about it. We just must, we must open ourselves up to God so that when he speaks, we hear his voice. Psalm 32, 8, God speaking. This is what God tells you in Psalm 32. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Listen to that promise. God's saying there, I will lead you, okay? I'm not okay with every possible option out there for you. I've got plans and intentions for you. I will lead you in them, which means that your job as a follower is not to discover God's will for your life. He's already got that. 
Your job as a follower is to be in close enough relationship with him that you are aware of his will when he chooses to reveal a part of it to you. And think about it. What were Cornelius and Peter doing when they heard from God? They were praying. Don't overthink it. They, they just had set times apart in their day to seek and approach and worship and hear from the Lord. And when Jesus says, follow me, it means that he's out in front. He's not asking you for directions, right? But how can we follow him if we're not close enough to hear his direction? Right? If you really want to know what God wants to do in your life, then you must get to know God. Right? And this starts with, with entering into a relationship with him. This is only done by asking God to forgive your sins by using Jesus' blood on the cross to pay for your price. But once you've done that, then you commit to seeking after him. Jesus said, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and everything else will be added to you. Right? So this, find a local church and commit to it. Right? Just give that priority. Be there when the doors are open. Build relationships with other believers. Join a small group. Right? Or find a tight-knit group of believers. Find a way to share life with those who are walking the same path as you. God's given us his word in the Bible. Right In the Bible, he tells us who he is. So read it. Get to know him. Pray to him daily. Start that line of communication. It, it's, it's not rocket science. To build any relationship takes time. It's no different than your relationship with God. Most often we hear this line, don't we, that we get out of relationships what we put into them. Well, that's not true with God. We always get more out than we put into them because that relationship is based on grace. But the principle is the same. You simply cannot expect to grow closer to God if you never pursue him. You simply cannot expect to know God more if you never spend time with him. Build that relationship. Open yourself up to his leading. And then secondly, to be a follower, you just have to be faithful. No one's asking you to be successful, just faithful. When Peter was told to go, what did he do? He went. When he arrived, he preached the message that he'd been handed from Jesus. He was Jesus' witness, just that he was told to be. Right? And though Acts 10 is a success story, isn't it? The entire house gives their life to Christ, but had not a single one of them believed what Peter told them, he still would have been just as faithful. Because the thing about following Jesus is that you don't have to worry about the results. That's his work. So where he sends you, go. And who he puts in your life, love on them and point them to Jesus. If he calls you to preach or teach or write or pray or serve, then preach, teach, write, pray, serve, whatever it is. But you will not be judged on the results of your service to him. You'll be judged on whether or not you did what he led you to do. So open yourself up to him. Just, just be faithful. And lastly, as a follower of Christ, and this is the hardest, just stay out of his way. We talk about this as a staff all the time, but how, how do we just stay out of his way around here? Peter receives this leading from God, and it's nothing he would have chosen. It's nothing he would have even guessed, right? It's nothing Peter would have ever done, but none of that matters because Peter followed. He never inserted himself in the process. He never questioned. He just followed, and guess what? It wasn't popular at all. Right? If you start reading this, the beginning of chapter 11, Peter returns to Jerusalem, and they're waiting for him. Right, there's this group of Jewish believers who's been waiting for him. The second they see him, they come up to him and say, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them. And let me tell you what, that group is always waiting. If you want to give God control of your life, he will always, what he will always lead you to is people. Because people is who God is always pursuing. And for whatever reason, when God gives you a heart for people, they're going to be naysayers. These naysayers who've lost sight of or never fully understood the gospel in the first place. 
Naysayers who do not understand that you cannot call impure what God has made clean. If you want to be a follower, Jesus will lead you to people, to new groups of people that you may have never even chosen. People who may be like you and people who may be nothing like you. And yeah, it, it may make you unpopular with some people. Listen, as a church of Jesus here at First Baptist North, we are compelled by the gospel to reach out and love and serve and meet people right where they are. We are compelled to present the gospel to them in ways that they can understand. We are called to be on the edge, to love and serve people whose skin is different than ours, to love and serve people whose sins are different than ours, to love and serve people whose backgrounds and religion and culture and music are all different than ours. And for the sake of the gospel, we point them to Jesus. And when we do, there will be people who do not like it. It's already happened. But we do it anyways. Right? Because as followers, we declare nothing impure that the blood of Jesus can make clean. Because as followers, we simply stay out of his way. And where he leads us to go, we go. Who he leads us to, we love. The audience he gives us, we proclaim Christ to them. Listen, we draw near to him. We stay faithful to what he's called us to. And we just stay out of his way. I got a four-year-old daughter named Gemma. Gemma's going through this developmental phase in her life that I remember our older daughter, Hattie, going through. And it's not mama's favorite phase, okay? Because in this phase, Gemma only has eyes for me. All right, so when I come home, she pursues me with everything she has. She drops everything she's doing to be with me. And she takes it too far when she tries to get rid of everyone else but me. Okay, but I was, I was thinking about this sermon this week. What, this, this, what image could I land on to, to be a follower? And my mind went to Jim and what she's been doing on Mondays recently. Monday is the day that I try to take off. Okay? So when I'm home on Monday and Jim realizes that I'm not headed to the office, her, her plans for her day shift entirely. She has only one goal and it's to be right here by my side at all times no matter what I'm doing. Okay, one time, just to, just to show uh, off to Corinne how ridiculous this is getting, I said, watch this. I'm just going to walk randomly through the house and go in rooms without stopping. And, and sure enough, I just started walking randomly, never stopped. And Jim was right behind me, just following the whole way, never asked a question where we were going. Right. For no reason, right? When I stand up, she stands up. When I sit down, she sits down. When I lay down, she attacks me and tries to tickle me. That gets a little crazy. Okay? This is so intense, I have to lock the bathroom door. Right? Now, I'm not guessing that she would come in. She's actually came in and sat right down on the floor, which is just gross, right? So I actually have to lock the door now, all right? So whenever I shower, use the restroom, I lock the door, and she just waits right outside the door for me. This is exhausting, and it's adorable, And it hit me, this is what God wants for from me. He actually wants me to, to lay down my plans, to toss out my schedule, And when he moves, he wants me to follow. And when he sits, he wants me to sit. And when he goes places that others wouldn't go, he wants me to go there with him. Because every Monday, Gemma surrenders her will and her day and her plans and everything to me because it's enough for her just to be with me. And God says, don't you get it, Brett? That's what following is. That's the vision for your life, that you would surrender your will, that you would lay down your life, that you would toss aside your plans and everything, and that you would discover it's enough for you just to have me. And that where I lead you, you follow. Where I go, you'll go. And we'll go places you never planned on. We'll go do things you never thought you'd do, but it's okay. I'm in front and you're behind. Follow me, Jesus says. The question is, will you? 
You ever surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? You ever, you ever just given him control? You ever asked him to forgive your sins? You, if, you, if you haven't, you cannot possibly follow him. And if you haven't, you stop there, you're not really following. Jesus says in Matthew 28 that we are to go and make disciples of every nation, not believers of every nation. If you're a believer in Jesus today, that's a good thing. That pays the price for your sins, but you're not a follower. Following is to surrender. Following is to let him take control. Following is to always trail. Will you follow? Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you that your plans are always different than ours. God, we thank you that you always have different ideas than we do. And God, I know that causes us so much stress and angst in this life. That when you move and you take control, you always go places that we wouldn't have gone. You always stretch us beyond our comfort. And we think that's a bad thing, Lord, and it's not. It's grace. So I pray that around this room, Lord, if there's one who's never surrendered their life to you, never found the forgiveness that is in your cross, never found the new hope and new life that's in you, today would be the day they just lay down their sins, they lay down their life at the foot of the cross and accept you. God, for those in this room who have done that, but they're still, they're still clinging to this idea of control. Man, I've, I've got to stick to my calendar. I've got to stick to my goals. I've got to stick to my plans. I've got to hold tightly. And I've got to figure all this stuff out. Lord, that's not following. Now, the way they become people who just at the start of their everyday say to you, Lord, where you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever distractions, whatever detours you bring, I'll follow them today. Because you are in control. And God, if there's any in our midst that has this darkness in our hearts, that we declare things impure that you can make clean. People who don't look like us. People who don't talk like us. People who struggle with a different sin than we do. And Lord, we've lost sight of the gospel. We don't love them the way you call us to love them. We don't give them the worth that your image gives them. Lord, may we repent of that evil wickedness today. May we be a church that declares nothing impure what your blood can make clean. May we follow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.